Well, if you're in Mark 16, say amen together. Matt Emmons. Matt Emmons had the gold medal in sight in the Athens 2004 Olympics. (coughs) He was only one shot away from claiming victory in the 50-meter three-position rifle event. He didn't even need a bullseye to win. He just needed to get near it and the gold medal would be his. He had a huge lead. A perfect bullseye would have been worth 10.9 points in the final round. All Matt Emmons needed was 8.0 to win. He made a shot and he scored 8.1. But he did not win the gold because of what was described as an extremely rare mistake made at the elite level of shooting. Emmons fired at the wrong target. Yeah, you could imagine how he felt. Standing in lane two, he fired at the target in lane three. And his score for a good shot at the wrong target was zero. Instead of a medal, Emmons placed eighth. Every person in here today, including myself, at some point or another has shot at the wrong target. In life. We've missed the mark, we've stumbled, we've failed. We've fallen in sin, we've fallen in faithfulness, we've fallen in courage, we've fallen in commitment, we've fallen in discipleship. In fact, the title of the message today is simply Stumbling in Discipleship. I'm talking mainly today about spiritual failure. Times in which we've fallen short of what God has called us to do or who He's called us to be or what He's called us to say or where He's called us to go or what He's called us to give. See, here's the truth. We've all stumbled in our walk with the Lord. In fact, every single one of us don't even have to think very hard to think back to 2021 and identify the days that we didn't do so well. Listen, the journey of discipleship that we find ourselves on today is not paid with only successes. Thank God for the successes he gives us, for the wins he gives us, for the victories he gives us in life. But because we're fallen sinners, our journey of discipleship will be marked at times by failure. I'm confident that in a group this size, there are some, even in here today, who have recently stumbled. In their spiritual life. I'd be confident there's some that are watching this via live stream that may be even stumbling right now. You're not where you used to be in your relationship with Christ. You've let some things get in the way of your spiritual growth. You can think back at 2021 when the growth steps were introduced and, and you were making good strides through these growth steps, taking the next step of following Jesus. But, but somehow in the journey of growth in 2021, something tripped you up. Something caused you to push pause on a decision God's been calling on you to make. You've stumbled. See, the question of the sermon today is simply this. Is there hope for the stumbling disciple? Is there hope? Is there hope for the failing follower? My answer is a resounding yes. There is hope. There's hope because we serve a God of hope. We serve a God of love and grace and forgiveness 
and restoration. I want to show you that in our message today. Last week, we studied three characters who were all very faithful to Jesus. The Roman centurion, the women, and Joseph of Arimathea. We learned that they were all faithful disciples to the very end. When everyone else ran from Jesus, these characters stayed with Jesus. But what about those that didn't? What about those 12 men that said, Jesus, we'll never leave you. We'll never fail. We'll never deny thee. They ran. They fled. They forsook him. They abandoned him. Peter denied even knowing him. Jesus' closest 12 followers stumbled badly. Is there hope for these guys? The purpose of this message is to show you that there's hope for them and there's hope for every stumbling disciple. But we're going to take a very unique route in order to make that point. I'm indebted to a dermatologist for showing me this route. His name is Abraham Coravilla. He's a practicing dermatologist. He's also a professor at a Southern Baptist seminary. And he's a scholar on the gospel of Mark. Being a dermatologist, he's in the practice and the habit and has become an expert in making the proper diagnosis of skin disease or whatever the case might be. He puts together blood work, puts together a clue of medical history. He puts together the, the clues of symptoms going on and, and he looks at all of these separate things and he puts them together to diagnose what their body is doing. And he's become an expert in the gospel of Mark at picking up clues in Mark's gospel to not just teach us what Mark is saying, but to put these things together to show us what Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, is doing. I'm going to teach you what he's taught me. Let's begin at Mark 14. Turn back there. We preached this several weeks ago. In Mark 14, Jesus has just been arrested. There's commotion everywhere. He's going to be tried. He's going to be executed. And the disciples, of course, are scared out of their mind, so they flee. Mark 14, verse 50. And they all, that's the disciples, forsook him, that's Jesus, and fled. So this is a massive failure on the disciples' part. But then you have this in verse 51. And there followed him a certain young man, having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young men laid hold on him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Who was this random young man? Who was he? It's like he comes out of nowhere. He's not in any of the other Gospels. We know that Mark was inspired of the Holy Spirit, so it's not a mistake that this detail is in there. But why is Mark putting this young man in his narrative in this spot? I'm here to tell you it's not an accidental detail. This isn't an author's oversight on Mark's part. In fact, he's a master narrator who writes with a lot of intentionality. And if we've learned anything about Mark's style of writing, it's this, that he is always deliberately doing something with what he's saying. We just have to study it long enough to pick up the clues along the way. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to try to piece together some Clues. What is Mark doing with the detail of the young man? And how does that help us understand there's hope for the stumbling disciple? Now you're going to have to be willing to study with me today. 
Verse 51 says this, And there followed him a certain young man. So he's described as somebody that is following Jesus. Did you know this is the same thing that Peter asserted of himself and the other disciples in chapter 10 of Mark in verse 28 that says, Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. Why is that important? Because this young man in chapter 14 is being depicted as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Just like Peter and the other 11 considered themselves Christ's disciples, this young man was a follower as well. There's another connection we need to piece together. Verse 50 says this, and they all forsook him and fled. Verse 52, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. This young man, like the disciples, went from a follower to a fleer. He, he abandoned everything, including the shirt off his back. See, the disciples had once left everything to follow Jesus, Mark chapter 1. Now they're leaving everything to get away from Jesus. This was a total reversal of the call of discipleship, a total abandonment of what they had previously committed to Jesus. They stumbled, as did this young man. And that's not all. The young man also had, I guess you could call it an unfortunate wardrobe malfunction. He ran away naked. The nudity of the young man perhaps symbolizes the shamefulness of this abandonment. This was a disgraceful unfaithfulness on the part of those who had been called to follow Jesus, to pick up their cross, to deny themselves, to forsake all and follow him. They had chosen shame over fidelity. Back to Matt Emmons. Four years after his unbelievable failure in the Athens Olympics, Matt was in the same exact position, this time at the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. Again, he had a huge lead going into the final shot in that 50-meter, three-rifle position event. Complete redemption was only one squeeze of the trigger away. And this time, Emmons didn't hit the wrong target. He did something worse. He didn't mean to, but he accidentally pulled the trigger before he completely finished aiming at his target. After that horrible mistake, he missed the bullseye badly. His score was 4.4, the lowest of any score in the entire competition, and he ended up one place away from a medal after a big league going to the last round. He failed again. He stumbled again. He messed up Again. When you mess up again, it brings extra shame. When you stumble again, it brings extra embarrassment. No doubt he felt like the disciples felt like this naked runaway felt ashamed and, and embarrassed and deeply regretful. I don't know how you have failed in your walk with Christ. I just know you have. Because I have. I don't know how you've stumbled or how you are currently stumbling in your journey of discipleship today. Maybe it involves some nagging, ongoing sin that torments you. Maybe it's an unresolved issue in your past that hasn't been dealt with. It could be a broken relationship that has a lot of collateral damage. Maybe if you're honest, you're feeling the guilt and, and shame of failure right now. Maybe you're even embarrassed by it. 
And you're asking this, can Jesus take me back? Can I get back up after I've stumbled so miserably? Is there hope? Interestingly, in chapter 14, verse 51 and 52, that phrase, linen cloth, appears twice. You see that? He had a linen cloth. He left the linen cloth. Cloth. The only other instance or putting clues together of that phrase is found in Mark 15, verse 46. The, the message we preached last week, it's also found twice there. And he, that's Joseph of Arimathea, bought fine linen and took him, that's Jesus, down, took him down from the cross and wrapped him in the linen. Now, what is Mark doing here? I, I think as well as Mr. Curavilla that it's a brilliant literary strategy. In an embarrassing and shameful fashion, the young man in chapter 14 is stripped of his linen cloth. Then in chapter 15, after Jesus was shamefully murdered, he was buried in a linen cloth. Get it? The disciple is shamefully stripped of the linen cloth. Jesus dies shamefully and is buried in a linen cloth. I want you to picture this on the screen in a graphic. The young man's garment of shame in Mark 14 becomes Jesus' garment of shame in Mark 15. Do you see it? Talk back to me. Now, of course, this is not a literal garment exchange. They don't wear the same exact linen cloth. I think Mark is cleverly using this garment theme in a symbolic way to get across a theological point. There was a young man, yes, who, who ran away naked, leaving behind a linen cloth. But then Jesus' body was wrapped in linen when he was buried. It seems like Mark is tying the two together. Why? What is he doing? That's where chapter 16 comes in. Mark's motive and, and his theological point is made clear in the scene right after Jesus' resurrection. Turn to Mark 16. In Mark 16, it's Easter morning. The women have made their way to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. And I want you to look at verse 5 at what they saw. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a, say it, say it with me, a young man. The other gospels calls this individual at the empty tomb an angel. Matthew calls him an angel. Luke calls him an angel. And John calls him an angel. Mark could have called him an angel as well. He hasn't shown any reluctance to call heavenly beings angels in his gospel so far. He's mentioned angels at least five times in his gospel up to this point. So why does Mark choose now to call an angel a young man? Could it be that he's using another literary strategy to connect this young man in chapter 16 to a young man in chapter 14? And there followed him a certain young man. Interestingly, there are only two young men mentioned by the, that title in all of Mark. The young runaway in Mark 14 and this young reporter in Mark 16. The reason he called the angel a young man must have been to create a literary link to the only other young man in all of Mark. The naked runaway. Again, why? What is Mark doing when he links this Naked runaway with this enrobed reporter. We've got to unpack another clue. Notice something unique about the young man's clothing in chapter 16. He's not wearing linen. 
What's he wearing? A long white garment. Think about this. The last time we saw a young man was in chapter 14. When he had given his linen robe to Jesus and ran away naked. But now in chapter 16, our young man is wearing white. Where did he get his white garment from? Well, there's only two uses of the word white in all of Mark's gospel. Right here in Mark 16, 5. And then back in Mark chapter 9, verse 3. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow. John 3 is the transfiguration of Jesus. He was wearing a white garment. Are you seeing it? He's wearing white at his transfiguration while the young man is wearing white at the empty tomb. Mark is once again using a literary strategy to show us where the young man in chapter 16 might have got his white garment. Might have got it from Jesus. Not literally the same garment, but a symbolic garment exchange. The second one in the book of Mark. It would look like this in a graphic. Jesus' garment of glory in Mark 9 becomes Mark's garment of glory. I'm sorry, the young man's garment of glory in Mark 16. So, so, so let's put those two graphics together for a moment. That you can see the big picture. The young man's garment of shame in Mark 14 that we talked about becomes Jesus' garment of shame in Mark 15. And Jesus' garment of glory in Mark 9 becomes the young man's garment of glory in Mark 16. The lesson is that garments have been exchanged in a symbolic sense. The the fleeing young man is symbolic of the unfaithful, stumbling, failing disciples who had fled and ran away from Jesus. And in so doing, you know what they left Jesus? A garment of shame. Think about that. That's what the master was given by his own disciples. A garment of shame. And we've done the same thing to Jesus. Our shameful sin... Our fallenness, our stumbling in discipleship, our, our failure to serve Him wholeheartedly, our wrong motives, our sins big and small, private and public, our, our harsh and impulsive words, our carnal actions, our prideful hearts, our selfish deeds, our bitter spirit. That's what we've passed on to Jesus. We've given Him our garment of shame, but at the resurrection... There's a young man dressed in a glorious robe that Jesus wore at his glorious transfiguration. That's what the disciple was given by Jesus. And that's what Jesus passed on to us. A garment of glory. Are you getting it? We passed on a garment of shame to Jesus. But Jesus passed on to us a garment of glory. The exchange of garments is what Mark is using to teach us today that there is hope for every disciple who has stumbled and failed in their journey of discipleship. Because of what Christ did, our shame can be exchanged for his glory. At the cross, Christ wore our shame so that we could wear his righteousness. 
He paid the price for all past, present, and future failures. To prove this even further to Mark's Roman readers, he includes an important detail in what the young man told the women at the empty tomb. Look at verse 7. But go your way. Tell his disciples <laughs> and Peter. Tell him that he goeth before you. I'll be in Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. And Peter. The disciple who betrayed Jesus. The disciple who, who denied his Lord shamefully three separate times. That guy, Jesus said, tell him I'm alive. I don't know where he is, but I want to see him. If there's hope for Peter, there's hope for you. No matter what the sin or the failure may be, no matter the, the, the level of embarrassment and shame that accompanies that sin and failure, hear me, Christian, there is hope. There is grace. There's restoration in the Lord Jesus. And notice where the young man said Jesus would wait for Peter and the rest of the stumbling disciples. Where does he say? Into Galilee. He said, I'm going to be waiting in Galilee for them. Did you know Jesus chose Galilee? Because that was the place where their journey of discipleship first begun. It's as if Jesus wants them to know, I'm ready to give you a new start. I'm ready to let you begin again. I'll be waiting at the starting line for you to return. So I began to think about Mark's own life as a follower of Christ. You know what? It really became clear to me why he went to the length that he did in order to make this, this important point about the symbolic exchange of garments. It, it, it started to make sense to me why he was so personally passionate about the idea of restoration after failure. Here's why. Because Mark was a failure. Do you know that? Mark stumbled in his discipleship. You don't have to go any further than the book of Acts to find this out. Because as the story goes, Mark got invited by his cousin Barnabas and his mentor, the Apostle Paul, the great missionary, to join them on their first ever missionary journey. But at some point in that journey, Mark quit. Go read it. Go study it. Mark quit and he went home. We don't know why, but we do know that the Apostle Paul thought it had to do with, with the lack of Mark's character. Because when Mark's cousin Barnabas asked if Mark could go on their second missionary journey, the Apostle Paul said, absolutely not. I'm not even negotiating it. Paul was so convinced that Mark's stumbling character wasn't ready for another missionary opportunity that he ceased his ministry partnership with Barnabas for a time over this disagreement about Mark. He stumbled. He disappointed his mentor. He let down his cousin. He turned his back, perhaps, on his calling to be a missionary during that time in his life. But here's what's really neat. By the end of Paul's ministry, he wrote to one of his students, one of his pupils, young Timothy. And he requested a few things. And check out what he requested. Here's what he said. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark. Don't miss it. 
Go hunt down Mark and bring him with thee. Why? Because he's profitable to me for the ministry. Apparently, Mark's character had grown. He had learned from his stumbling and his failure. And God had restored him to a place of usefulness again, even though at one point he stumbled miserably. In fact, he became so useful for the Lord that Peter, a failure himself, called Mark his son. In 1 Peter 5.13, the church this is at, that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus my son. How incredible is that? Peter stumbled, but was restored. Mark stumbled, but was restored. And they both ended up partnering together in ministry like father and son. I was thinking this morning that maybe their ministry could be called Stumblers Unanimous. The question of the sermon is this. Is there hope for the stumbling disciple? Would you agree that the answer is yes? Because of Jesus, there is hope. He wears your garment of shame and wants you to put on his garment of righteousness. There's a story that tells of a New Year's Day many years ago. When Georgia Tech played UCLA in the Rose Bowl. How many watched football yesterday? Raise your hand. It's pretty good. In that game, a, a young man by the name of Roy Regals recovered a fumble for UCLA. But after he picked up the ball, he lost his sense of direction and he ran 69 yards towards the wrong goal line. One of his own teammates, Benny Long, thank God for Benny, ran him down tackled his own teammate just before he ran into the wrong end zone and scored for Georgia Tech. To make matters worse, UCLA had to punt. To make matters even worse, the punt was blocked. To make matters even worse, Georgia Tech scored. That strange play came in the first half of the game. At halftime, UCLA went back into their locker room where Roy Regal sat down in front of his locker, put his hands in his face, and literally cried his eyes out in shame and embarrassment. He felt like a failure. He would forever be known as Wrong Way Regals. Coaches, when they go into the locker room at halftime, usually have a great deal to say to their teams. But on this day, Coach Price was silent. When the timekeeper announced that there was three minutes until the second half started, Coach Price said this to the team. Men, the same players that started the first half of the game will start the second half of the game. The players then began to file out of the locker room and on to the field. All except Roy Regals. He didn't budge. The coach looked at him and said, Roy, didn't you hear me? Roy didn't budge. Coach moved closer and said, Roy, I said the same players that started the first half will start the second half. Let's go. Regals looked at his coach and said, Coach, I can't. I can't go out there. I've ruined you. I've ruined our university. I've ruined our team. I've ruined myself. I am not going to face that crowd now. Coach Price reached out his hand, 
Story says he placed it on Regal's shoulder and he said, Roy, get up. Get up and go back to the field. The game is only half over. Those there said they had never seen a man play football like they saw Roy Regal's play in the second half. See, we all take the ball and run in the wrong direction, like Roy Regal's. We all shoot at the wrong targets, like Matt Emmons. We all stumble, and sometimes miserably so, just like Peter. We've all felt the guilt and shame of messing up like the young man who ran away ashamed and naked. We've all quit on Jesus before, like Mark. But our Heavenly Father reaches out His hand, places it on our shoulder today, and says to us, Get up. Get back in the game. It's only half over. He says, go back to Galilee and start again. I'm waiting for you. Here we are at the beginning of a new year. Oftentimes, we look at this part of our calendar with enthusiasm because, I don't know, in our American way of living, we we think of January 1 as a clean slate. And I love that about about that. I don't think it really is, but, but we think of it that way and it helps our mind, increases our motivation. I've got good news. Well, this isn't good news. Good news is coming. This this is probably bad news. Because in 2022, you'll stumble again. You'll fall again. You'll, You'll run towards the wrong end zone again. You'll shoot at the wrong target again. To be real frank, you'll probably disappoint yourself in 2022. It gets worse. You'll probably disappoint others in 2022. Because you're a sinner, you will certainly disappoint the Lord. So when you do, I want you to go back to the first message preached in your church in the year 2022. And I want you to remember that there is always hope for the stumbling disciple. I want you to remember that Christ has taken your garment of shame and he has exchanged it for his garment of glory. I want you to remember that's how God sees you. Even after you fell, he doesn't see you as a shameful stumbler. God the Father sees you as one of his glorious children. To help you remember this symbolic exchange of clothing, I want you to do something this week. Every time you get dressed in the morning, taken for granted, you put on clothes. You can start this tomorrow. Every time you put on new garments for a new day, I want you to say this to yourself, even out loud. My clothes for his. Would you say that phrase with me? My clothes for his. Say it again. My clothes for his. For his. Now you say it by yourself. When you put on your shirt tomorrow morning, my clothes for his. When you put on your pants, my clothes for his. When you put on your socks and your shoes, after you catch your breath from bending over, <laughs> my clothes for his. When you put on your coat and you're about to walk out the door, 
my garment of shame for his garment of righteousness. Every day, after every failure, Jesus is waiting for you in Galilee. And he's telling you, let's start again. His mercies are new every morning. And he's telling you what Coach Regals, I mean, Coach Price told Coach Regals. Get up. It's a new day. The game's not over. If you're still breathing, God's still working. If you're not dead, God's not done. So put on your shoulder pads. Put your mouthpiece in. Lace up your cleats. Put your helmet on and get to the field. That's where Jesus will meet you. Maybe you're here and you're stumbling right now. You didn't, you didn't need this message necessarily to look forward to how you're going to deal with failure this year. You needed this message because you're coming off failure. It's where you're living right now. Failure as a spouse. Failure as a parent. Failure as a child. Failure as a Christian. And you know that God had me preach this message to give you hope today. And before you just toss in the towel, before you just chalk it up as a win for the evil one, I want you to remember, if you are a child of God, God sees you as righteous. Not as a failure. You confess that sin. You repent of that sin. You say, God, I'm so sorry for that failure. And you get up and you get back in the game. This church this community, your family, this world needs you to stop stumbling. So get up and walk with God like you used to walk with God. You agree with the Bible? Say amen. amen. Stand